Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is Pastor Joe Caminetti. We have the privilege this weekend of finishing up a series that I titled, What If? And this is all about asking one of the most powerful questions that can be asked. And I got to thinking about how our history as a nation was changed because one man asked, what if we could judge people by the character of their heart instead of the color of their skin? What if we could peacefully change the way this nation is? And Martin Luther King, through asking that question, brought incredible change. He impacted all of our lives for the good. And even though I was young at the time, as I read about it in the history books, listened to documentaries, my life was impacted for the good by that man. And history was changed. And we're asking spiritual questions, putting what if in front of the spiritual questions. And today we want to ask the question, it's a really cool question, what if we were consumed with people's eternity? What, what if you and I were consumed with people's eternal state? And I want to talk to you a little bit about the fact of being consumed and the fact of eternity. I just want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. Eternity has to do with this incredible truth that when you and I die, everybody on this planet, we either go up or down. We either go to heaven or to hell. And according to the Christian Bible, whether it's Catholic or Protestant, they both say the same thing on the subject. The only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. We have to accept him as our Savior. And if we don't accept him, the Bible says we're dead in our sins, we're sin-stained, and it's not that God rejects us, we're not able to go to heaven because we didn't allow him to wash our sins away. So someone that doesn't accept Christ, they spend this eternity in a place called hell, it's awful, it, it, they don't cease to exist, they go on forever, and someone that accepts Christ, they spend their eternity in this place called heaven. And so when I say, what if we are consumed with people's eternity? I'm referring to the fact that everybody you know, you ask the question when you're around them, have they met Jesus yet? Because if they don't, their eternity is really, really bleak. But if they have, their eternity is heaven. And that's pretty good. So let me give you some, some help. This works for me. I think I'm 100% correct on it, but uh, maybe some of you see something I don't see. So at the end of service... If you have something that maybe could help me see something more clearly, feel free to come up and talk to me and let me know so I can examine what you say. But here's what I've come to learn. I can figure out if someone's a Christian so fast, and here's how I do it. I just bring Jesus up, and I watch to see how they react to Jesus. And I can tell in a second whether they're a born-again Christian or not. Because if you bring Jesus up and someone tells you, I'm a member of such and such church, or uh, I don't want to hear it, or shut up, Jesus freak. We, we know immediately they have not met the Savior. If someone on the street came up to me and said, hey, gave me a track or whatever, I want to talk to you about Jesus, I would immediately say, high five, man, I know him already. He's awesome. He saved my life. If somebody doesn't respond that way, they have not met Jesus yet. And so that's how I know when someone's a Christian or not. It's really simple. So I'll just bring Jesus up one way or another, and I can determine where they're at. And so once I know they don't know him, here, here's my goal. My goal is to introduce them to him. I'm consumed with their 
eternity. And when we're consumed with something, it's the most important thing in the world. So I got to thinking about how this all started for me. Most of you know I accepted Christ at 19. I literally went from spiritual darkness to light. And I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus, but it was up here. One day I saw him, and it's like, oh! And everything changed, and I fell in love with, with Jesus. And once I did, I was consumed with everybody I love. I was consumed with their eternity. I had five brothers at the time. Um, I had my mom and dad. My brother Jim was married to Judy already. My brother Mike was dating Barb, who's now his wife. And I was consumed with all of their eternity. Like if they died, they're not going to go to heaven. And I knew none of them knew Jesus because when I mentioned them, they told me to shut up and they called me a Jesus freak and they said, you're in a cult. And I knew they hadn't met him yet. So I'm consumed. Now within six months, my brother Tony accepted Christ. My mom accepted Christ. And all my brothers and sister-in-law and future sister-in-law, they all accepted Christ. My dad was the holdout. So we all ganged up on a mom and all of us, we ganged up on dad. And I needed some training. I did everything wrong, but I had passion. I was consumed. What if we were consumed with people's eternity? I was consumed. So that mattered to me. Where my dad spent eternity mattered. So I had to get, I had to get the message to him. That's what happens when you're consumed with it. It, it matters. So I remember inviting him to an event, my brothers and I, it was a champion high school, and it was this movie about the rapture and the Antichrist, and I just thought, if he watches this, he'll accept Jesus. We bring him, I'm so excited, it's nighttime, and he worked midnight turn in his defense, and he fell asleep and slept through the whole entire thing, and we were so disappointed, and so we just kept working on him, and uh, one day we're eating dinner, so we, it's, it's all of us brothers, and my, my dad, and, and my mom, and and we're ganging up on him again. We're telling him, you know, you got to accept Christ. That's how you go to heaven. Again, no tact, nothing. So my brother Tony has a Bible, and he's reading scriptures. And all of us noticed my dad's body language changed. We, we noticed. Tony was so into what he was saying, he didn't notice. And my dad kept saying, I had enough. I don't want to hear anymore. That's enough. And we're eating. So finally, my dad grabs his plate and throws it at Tony's head. Tony was quick, so he ducked, and uh, then some, some utensils came, and, and uh, it was a really awkward moment, and, and of course, we backed off at that point, but then we kept going after him, and it was about a year after I accepted Christ, we brought my dad, he came to a service on Easter, I'll never forget, he went through the service, I wasn't sure if he was getting it, I sat a couple rows behind, and I'm watching him the whole service, and at the end, the, the pastor, like I do, he, he offered for people to accept Christ, and both my dad's hands went up, and it was like so incredibly awesome, but we were consumed. What if we were consumed with people's eternity? I believe it changes everything about how we live and what we do. So I want to read a couple of really cool quotes to you. Uh, the first one's Matthew Henry. He said, I would think it a greater happiness to gain one soul to Christ than mountains of silver and gold to myself. And as you sit here, don't answer this out loud, but ask yourself, if you could have someone accept Christ or mountains of gold and silver or win the lottery, 300 million or something, which one would you pick? And some of you are like me, you say, can I do both? Um, <laughs> can I get the lottery and then tell people about Jesus? Um, 
But, but think about what's most important to you. David Brainerd, he, he was a missionary to Native Americans. And he had a really tough life because this is back when they were killing, uh, you know, the white, the, the white invaders and everything. And he would go and minister to them. And, and here's what he said. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are the first of my thoughts. No amount of scholastic attainment or able and profound exposition of brilliant and stirring eloquence can atone for the absence, and this is the part I wanted you to hear, of a deep, impassioned, sympathetic love for human souls. You know, sometimes in the church we want to argue doctrine and we want to just argue little minor points. And really, the most important thing is for you and I to have a compassion for people's eternity. What if we were consumed with people's eternity? And I realize I'm speaking to people here that you're like me. You are consumed. We can all grow. And today's about us going, going a little higher. I realize there's some of you, you used to be consumed. You lost it. This is a day where I hope to start the fire afresh in you. There are others. You've just never had this fire. It's not really your fault. You're new. And today's going to be a day where we really start that fire in you. And there are others you're visiting, you're not yet a Christian, and now you realize why your friends nag you, because they go to this church and they listen to me. So <clears throat> we're excited you're here. And this is going to help you understand why we are concerned for you. We really love you, because we're convinced the Bible's true. I know what I said about eternity isn't politically correct, but it's biblically correct. And, you know, I make it a point to build bridges and not barriers, and I try not to push people away from God with things that don't matter, but I'll tell you what, if someone's offended because I talk about Jesus as the only way, that's not my fault, man. I, I, that's not our fault, guys. We have to say what the Bible says. We have to teach what the Bible says. So we're excited that you're here. And I thought this would help. This really helps me. Uh, it's called the DLP. Uh, this is dealing with the dominant life principles. And dominant life principles are what motivate us. It's why we do what we do. And why we do what we do, I believe should, there should be one reason why we do whatever we do. So the first three, there's four of them. The first three, we don't want to be motivated. We don't want to make decisions based on these first three. The first one is circumstances. And, and this is where we just allow ourselves to be moved by the circumstances of life. We, we do what we do because of what happens and what comes our way. So uh, our decisions are based on what's happening and what forces are pushing us. Number two is convenience, and convenience is all about the easiest route to take. Whatever the easiest route is, that's where I'm going to go, and that's easy for you and I to fall into. And here's something you want to remember. Even a dead fish can go from point A to point B in the river stream, and we don't want that to be the reason that we're motivated Number three is criticism, and that's just us worrying about what other people think about us. So we do things to please people. We don't want that to be our DLP. But here's the one that we want. It's called conviction. And I really believe everything we do needs to be out of a conviction. And conviction equals passion. When someone has a conviction, they have passion. And what they do, they do because they believe that this is the right thing to do. Conviction's all about the hill you and I are willing to die on. I'll die on this hill. I'll go to jail for this. I, I, I will live my life for this. 
And when it comes to what if we were consumed with people's eternity, here's my goal today. I want to take it, take you bringing people to Christ, you leading people to Christ. I want to bring it to a conviction in your life, and I want to do my best to help it grow. And I know some of you are there. I just hope to have the privilege to take you a little farther. farther. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to show you how we can develop passion for people's eternal state. If you're sitting here and you say, I have none, I'm going to help you out. Here, here's what you do. Uh, you have to focus on things. And I'll give you three main things. There could be others, but here's three main things. Number one, you have to focus on people's eternity. Uh, and we talked about that already, but you focus on that and passion will grow. You know, when you're around people you rub shoulders with every day and you start to realize if they died in a car accident or if they had a heart attack or if something happened, they'll spend eternity in hell. That causes the passion for souls to grow inside you because now you're not looking at it as this earth. You're seeing it as eternity, and that changes everything. Number two is responsibility. And Jesus said this. He said, go into all the world and share the good news with everybody. And Jesus said that we're the feet that bring the message. And I love what Romans chapter uh, 10 says. It says that in order for people to accept Christ, they have to hear. And it says, how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And how can someone tell them unless they're sent? And then it says, how blessed are the feet of those to share the good news. So sometimes, every now and then, I do a message like this. It's, it's a sending message. It's a stir us up message, man, to get us to where I'm sending you out into your world. And I'm, I'm going to make this really simple today. So some of you are sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can do this. By the time we're done, I believe not only will I give you a passion, I'll give you a plan, and I'll help you to do it. And many of you have passion, so I'll give you that plan. Number three, this, this really costs us pa passion, is conversions. Think about the lives that have been changed. Think about people you know that have accepted Christ. Think about your life. When I think about the darkness I was in and the light I came into, man, that gives me a passion for people's souls because I realized there was a day when I didn't know God and I went to church, but I didn't know him. And then there was a day when I knew him. And I want everybody on this earth to experience that day. Some of you are like my kids. My kids grew up in church. So they've known Jesus as far back as they can remember. They don't have a day like I do. They've known him their whole life because they grew up here. And so they need to just think about and focus on other people and their conversions. So I love conversion stories. And I heard one recently, and I knew it, but I was reminded of it. And I thought it was really cool because this is not one of those stories that somebody was a drug dealer or somebody was really bad. This was a really good person, but they were empty. They had a hole in their heart. They, they longed for something they didn't have, and, and they didn't need a crutch. So I want to tell you this story. I, I was in um, Dayton a couple weeks ago. It was a Thursday. I was teaching a pastor seminar, and I was teaching uh, with a couple guys, and one of the guys was a buddy of mine, Mark Pagley. He was our youth pastor here for 17 years. So uh, I sat in his session, and I was just listening to what he taught. And he, in this session, talked about his conversion, which I knew, but I forgot, hadn't thought about forever. And it was so incredible. I thought, I need to just tell you guys about this conversion because this causes passion. When you think about what God's done in people's lives, it, it causes passion. So he's a unique guy. His senior year of high school, he was rated the best baseball player in the state of PA. 
He was drafted by the San Francisco Giants coming out of high school. And uh, he was just absolutely an incredible baseball player. And uh, he was famous in his school. When he walked through the school hallways, everybody knew him. He was like, you know, the most famous person in the school. He was famous in the town of Newcastle and, and, and where he lived. Just very, very famous. He had, if you could say it, everything going for him. And some of us that have never tasted those things, we think, if I had that, my life would be great. He had it all. And he said as he was talking that he had all that, but he had this nagging question. Here's the nagging question. There's got to be more to life than this. Can you imagine that? High school. Thinking, There's got to be more to life than this. Drafted by the San Francisco Giants. There's got to be more to life than this. And one of his friends invited him to church. He went to church. He accepted Christ. And he found out that there is more to life. He had that longing for something eternal. And it flooded his soul. And guess what happened? And this doesn't happen all the time. Jesus doesn't do this with everyone. He realized he was called to ministry. He walked away from baseball, never played. And he pursued ministry. Some people, God may want them to play baseball as a Christian or football but for him, he just walked away from it. And right now, he's pastoring a church in Arkansas, just pioneered it, exploding, doing well. God's using him. God's used him all along. But here's what happens. When I think about people's conversions, I realize that God can put marriages back together. God can heal people. God can give people hope and give them purpose. And it causes passion to grow in me. So I find if I focus on those things, passion starts to grow. So what I want to talk to you about next is how do we take this passion and turn it into conversions? And now I'm going to just talk to you about the people you rub shoulders with every day. I bet you a lot of you in here, maybe most of you, you've invited people you rub shoulders with, maybe your relatives, people you work with, your neighbors. You've either talked to them about Jesus or you invited them to church. And, you know, after you do it one time, you wonder, you know, well, should I do it again? When should I do it again? What should I do? Or some of you rub shoulders and you're not sure what to do, so I'm going to help you out. If I were on a plane sitting next to someone, I would come at them like crazy and say, hey, you believe in Jesus? I mean, I get on the subject fast, and if they don't like me, I could care less. I'll never see them again. I just want them to meet my Jesus. But people I rub shoulders with, I'm, I've been trained. I understand now. I'm not like I was when I first was a Christian. I will take my time. It's strategic. It, it's fun. It's like being in the military. It's like a strategic game. Uh, you take your time. There's no hurry. There's some things you can do. So if you have a passion for your relatives, you're going to be with some of them here in the holidays. You have a passion for people you, you, that you're friends with that don't know Christ. You work with, what do you do? How do you take this passion and turn it into conversion? I think it's really simple, and I'm going to just talk about three things. Today's the day of threes. Number one, you pray. You pray for them. You might do that for months. You might do that for years. There's a couple really well-known people in our community. I've been praying for them for 30 years now. They haven't accepted Christ yet, but they will. I watch God bring people in their lives. It's It's amazing the people that God has brought into these guys' lives and what's happening right now. It's amazing. And so some people take longer than others, but sometimes people accept Christ really quick. We just begin to pray for them. And how do you pray? It's pretty simple. 
God, open up their eyes to Jesus. Let them see Jesus like I do. Lord, open up a door for me to talk to them or invite them to church. That's pretty simple. Lord, send somebody else to talk to them that maybe they have a connection with that they'll listen to even more than me. And you just pray those kind of prayers on a regular basis. I drive by people's homes and I just, that I know, I pray for them. People come to my mind, just pray for them. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I, I can't tell them about Jesus every time I see them. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. It's going gonna, it's gonna to push them away. But, but I can pray for them. And, and then uh, here's a little quote that I think is really cool. It says, the man who mobilizes the church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. And I agree with that. And so I'm, I'm just encouraging you to pray because that releases God to do great things. Number two, just shine. And you see the scripture, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. That's you are the light of the world scripture. And Jesus said, don't hide your light. He said, shine it. And then he told us how. He said, let them see your good works. So he says, show them my love. Show them the fruit of the spirit. Live the life in front of them. And so these people you rub shoulders with, you can live the life in front of them. So think about the relatives you're going to be with. Think about how you normally act with them and say, is there something I can do to just show Christian love at a higher level? And just do that particular thing. You know, it might be talking to an aunt that you always walk in the other room and never talk to and just spending some time talking to them. Whatever it is, just show the love of God. The people you work with, think about how can I shine my light in a greater way? Now, understand this. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we shine our light. And if we make a mistake, in my opinion, what impresses people really a lot, it, it impresses me, is when somebody uh, shows humility and they say, you know what I did yesterday, what I said was wrong, would you forgive me? That's shining your light too. So if you blow it, that's okay. That's not, nothing's wrong with blowing it. And you just ask people to forgive you. I blew it last night. Um, I was watching the Ohio State game with my son. David with my, my brother-in-law and his son and uh, Ryan and, and uh, with Corey, my daughter's boyfriend. And I'm the worst sports fan probably in this room. I'm kind of like a, a, a verbally abusive husband. And uh, if my team does good, I'm like, yeah, if they make a mistake, I'm like, you stink. I can't, can't believe you did that. And the room was so negative. These guys are just looking at me. And I, so here's what I did. Ten minutes left in the game. I said, I'm not going to say another thing. And I went five minutes. And then I just went crazy. And I love my team. I love Ohio State, but I'm just a bad fan. I don't know what it is. I'm critical. And, and so, uh, but I humbled myself and said, I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes we just have to apologize for who we are. And that's still shining your light bright. Now, here's a couple quotes that uh, are really cool. Listen to what St. Francis of Assisi said. He said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. It's the power of our lifestyle. Um, Alexander McLaren said, kindness makes a person attractive. If you would win the world, melt it. Do not hammer it. And I, I have three because I like these so much. William Barclay said, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all theological arguments in the world. And it's just showing the love of God. And so if you focus on that, now think about your neighbors, your friends, people you work with, you're rubbing shoulders with them, whoever it is, your relatives. Think about if you're praying for them and shining your light. 
You're releasing God to work in their hearts at the highest level. Then number three, eventually you have to share and invite. Eventually you're going to have to have a, God will open a door and you share Christ with them or you invite them to church. And you guys are inviting hundreds of people next week. So we've been praying for those names you submitted and, and I'm so proud of you for doing that. But you share and you invite. So uh, I thought this was cool. Uh, 25% of adults would go to church if someone invited them. That's Barna Research Group. So one out of four people are, that you know are waiting and they're waiting for you to say, come to church. And so some of you are good at just sharing Christ yourself. Others, you're not so sure, you're a little nervous. Just invite them to church. And with that, you look for open doors. You look for opportunities. And I guarantee you, if you're praying for someone and shining your light, they're going to say something to you that opens the door so wide open. They're going to tell you this world's falling apart and I, I don't know where, where we're headed. And then you can talk to them and you can begin to share with them. And, and you can have a time or a place to insert. So that's how we take passion, turn it into conversion. And I want to help you out with the invite part by sharing a story with you about Jesus. And Jesus... Uh, there's an event where he called Philip and then Philip went after Nathaniel. And there's some really cool things we can learn about this. So let's read a couple verses of scripture. Uh, John 1.43 says this, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip had an instant conversion. He accepted Christ immediately and he started following him. So here's what Philip does. He wants to let everybody he knows know about Jesus. So listen to verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's already telling him this. And I love the response of Nathanael. Listen to this, verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, I, I think this is strategic because when you invite someone to church, they're going to have some kind of crazy thing they tell you. You know, uh, I don't believe in church or, um, you know, they're going to ask you some biblical question and they're going to want you to give them this theological answer. And, and I love the way that Philip responded. He did not touch that Nazareth thing. He just said, come and see. And here's what I've learned. If you get someone into a service, Jesus will talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And I want you to notice what happened, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no, nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. This is a one-on-one -on -one moment with Jesus. And here's what I've learned. I've watched it now for 30 years. You bring someone into church and God's going to speak something to their heart that's personal. Think about what he did with Nathaniel. He told Nathaniel, I saw you standing under the fig, fig tree. Now Jesus wasn't there. This was too far away. Jesus should have never known about it. So Nathaniel knows this is supernatural. He, he's reading my mail. He knows something about me that he shouldn't know. And it's making God real. And I don't know what happened under there, but Jesus called him a man of integrity. So I don't know if someone tried to get him to take a bribe or a bad business deal, something that was wrong, and he said no, but he somehow connected with him and it opened his heart up. And I'm convinced when people come to church, Jesus begins to speak to our hearts. 
and it opens us up. And listen to the last verse. It goes like this. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And he accepted Christ. Now, people don't always accept Christ the first time we talk to them. They don't always accept Christ the first time we bring them to church. And I want to talk to you about that because that's important. I don't want you to give up. And I also just want to talk to you about developing a little bit more boldness to say to someone, talk to them about Jesus or to invite them to church. And I think I can do it. I think I know a way. And I can do it through two stories. They're personal stories. When I was in high school, I had, I had six brothers at that time. I had two brothers that were always afraid to ask girls out. They were afraid to call them and ask them out. So Mike and Tony, they would have me do it. And uh, so they would say, call her and tell them you're me. And our voices all sound alike. So I would call girls and say, hey, this is Mike Caminetti. I'd like to go out with you. And I'd get Mike a date. <coughs> he would never tell them it was me. They'd think it was him that called. Then I'd call girls for Tony and say, hey, this is Tony Caminetti. I'd like to take out. Well, you know, boom, boom. And I'd get him a date. And I never had any fear. I was fearless. You know why? Because if they said no, they weren't rejecting me. They were rejecting Mike and Tony. It took the fear out, man. There was no fear. Because they're not telling me no, they're telling them no. And then I, I, Tony stopped using me after a while because I asked one girl out and she said no. And she was a little snippety. So, so I told her off and used some <laughs> curse words. And I slammed the phone down in Tony's eyes and mouth, his mouth struck. He goes, you ruined my life. I said, she told you no, so you don't want her, Tony. Don't worry about it. And um, so that was us growing up. But I, I had no... No fear. It was like, I don't care what they say. It doesn't matter. They're, gonna, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting them. Then when I was in Bible school, I met my wife in church. She was in the same Bible school, but I saw her in a church service. And, and all I could think about is I got to ask her out. I was immediately attracted to her. And so I got her phone number and I called her. And ironically, Tony was in the room in our apartment the night I called her. And I talked to her for 40 minutes without asking her out. I was afraid she'd say no, so I, I just kept, I talked about everything in the world, but doing what I called her for. And I had this fear, like, uh, I'm afraid she'll say no. It was so different than when I called for Mike and Tony to get them dates. And so Tony begins to mock me and make fun of me. He's calling me a chicken. He, and I've got the phone covered while he's doing it. And I'm trying to carry on a conversation. So finally I got up the energy, you know, the, the, the ability to ask her. And I, I just said, hey, would you go out with me? And she, it was like maybe a 10-second pause, and I seemed like eternity. And she said, yeah. So it was like all the pressure went. And I'm amazed at the difference between the two scenarios. And here's what I've done. Years ago, I did this with Jesus. If I ask someone to church or I ask them about where they're at with Jesus, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. And I just don't take it personal. It's all about Jesus. And what I've learned also is this. I've learned that the first time is not always the time it's going to work. Some people need to hear it over and over. The Bible calls it planting and watering. Watering is the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. And so uh, uh, I want to help you understand something. And, and, and some of you are going to find out you're, you're more successful than you think. And uh, I'm going to quote something from a book. But before I do, I want to tell you about this book. And in, in, in a lot of the guys here, I've, I've encouraged you to read this book. Uh, it's called One Thing We Can't Do in Heaven. 
And the one thing we can't do in heaven, of course, is share Jesus because everybody in heaven's a Christian. So you can't invite people to church in heaven. Everyone's Christian. You can't share Jesus with someone in heaven. Everyone's already a Christian. So the only place we have the awesome opportunity to lead someone to Christ is now. And this book's all about developing that passion in us for souls. And it's written by Mark Cahill. And here's why guys will love the book. Mark Cahill played college basketball with Charles Barkley. He was Charles Barkley's roommate in college. And they're, to this day, still very close friends. And uh, so Mark shares these stories about Charles. And he shares a story in there where uh, he was in town. And Charles called him and said, hey, Michael Jordan's going to be here. This is when Michael was at the top of his game. Michael's going to be here. We're going to be playing some poker over here tonight. Why don't you come over? And Charles said, I know you're going to witness to Michael. He goes, I know it. He goes, but I still want you to come hang out with us. And I won't tell you what happened. You can read the book to find out what happened. But it's just stories like that make the book so fun for guys. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's awesome. And, and so in the book, there's a chapter, and it talks about the win. What's the win? And he brings it out so beautifully. The win isn't somebody accepting Christ at that moment, the win is planting the seed or watering. And he has this quote, and I love the quote. It goes like this. The only time we lose is when we don't share our faith. That's the only time we lose. If someone says, I'm not interested, we haven't lost. We planted a seed. God's going to work on that seed. God's going to work on their hearts. If you give God something to work with, I remember before I accepted Christ, God tormented me night and day. And I don't know if that's a good word. He nagged me. And I'd go to sleep and it's like he, everything Lou told me about Jesus, it would come to my mind and it just wouldn't leave. But before Lou start giving me something to think about, God never, ever did that. Something had to happen. So my heart, as I close this out, is to encourage you to be one that asks. You know, the day I accepted Christ as my Savior, um, I called Lou, and I, he told me to watch a TV show. He had witnessed to me for three months, and at first I made fun of him, then I started listening. He called me one day and said, turn the TV on, so I did, and, and it was a Christian show. I knelt down, I prayed, and accepted Jesus at the end. So I called Lou and said, I accepted Jesus, and here's what he said. He said, tell the first person that walks in to work out. I was at the gym that I own with my brother Tony. He said, tell the first person you're a Christian, you accepted Christ. And I said, Lou, are you crazy? That's going to be hard. He said, do it. So I hung up and I said, well, if Lou said to do it, he was right about Jesus, I'll do it. So I'm really nervous about the first guy that's going to come sign up and sign in for the day. So I'm in the office and they sign in at a little window and I'm going to see him. And I heard a guy coming and I'm like, oh no. I, I don't. And, but the guy that turned the corner, he, he was one of the nicest guys in the gym because most guys in the gym were not nice. They were like me. And uh, so, so he turns the corner and it's this nice Little guy, slender, tender-hearted. I never heard him cuss, never heard him talk bad about anybody. I'm like, yes. And so he comes to sign in, and I said, hey. I said, guess what? I accepted Christ as my Savior today. And he's writing his name, and he looks up. He goes, praise the Lord. I'm a Christian too, Joe. And so I was partly happy and partly angry. I was excited that the first guy I told accepted it because he was already a Christian, but I was really mad because I knew him for two years, and he never once told me about Jesus, and I thought I could have went to hell, and this guy would have never told me a thing, 
And it changed my life because I thought, I'm going to be Lou and not this other guy. I'm going to be the guy that drops the word in there whenever I have a chance and an opportunity. And I want to encourage you to be Lou. Pretend you're calling and asking for a date for somebody else and take all the fear out. Let's, let's close our eyes. Can we look up to heaven, guys? Lord, I did my best to teach an incredible Bible principle. And Lord, what, what if we were consumed with people's eternity? I believe family members would come into the kingdom quicker. I believe people we work with would come into the kingdom quicker. So Lord, as we heard this message, we make a commitment right now to you. We say cause the passion flame to go up. And Lord, we make a decision to feed that passion by focusing on those three things. And Lord, as we pray and we look at you, we're, we're, we're focused on you. I thank you for what you spoke to us while this message went on. I thank you for taking all of us to the next level spiritually. And for everyone in this room, I'm going to give you 30 seconds just between you and God right now. Can we continue in an attitude of prayer? But can we bow our heads, close our eyes just for a minute more? I want to give people an opportunity that are here that you say, Pastor Joe, I came in and uh, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here a couple times, but you say, man, I'm ready today to make it real and make a connection with Jesus. I'm not asking you to join our church and I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you, what have you done with the Savior, with Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God unless they go through me. Jesus said, whoever calls on my name, I'll save them. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I believe he died for me. I believe those words. I'm ready to accept them today. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? And just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. And I make a decision today to make you Lord of my life and follow you. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.